0: would like to look with us, we're in the seventh chapter of John. Got down about verse 33, 34 last time. We'll back up for just a second and try to get our thoughts together. So we're here at the Feast of the Tabernacles, one of the three feasts of the year that all of the males of Israel were required to come to Jerusalem to celebrate this. A lot of times their families would come with them. So there's going to be a great multitude here. As they gather together down there um, at the beginning of the feast, and remember Jesus' brethren, they kind of mocked and made fun of Him and said, Are you not going up? If, If you want people to know you, and if you are the Messiah, then shouldn't you be where everybody's at doing these works? And Jesus said, You go on, my time is not yet. And after a little while, Jesus went up in secret after them. So as this feast starts and the multitudes congregating together the talk of everybody from the lowest of the low and the least among the brethren there in Israel they're out there saying where is where is Jesus? He's got to be here somewhere. Where's He at? Where's His teaching? And the elite and the Sanhedrin court and the Pharisees they're saying where is He? We're going to arrest Him and we're going to bring Him into custody. So that at the Feast of the Tabernacles, the talk of everybody there is this man Jesus Christ. Whether good or bad, whether they, they want to see Him or they want to kill Him, everybody has an opinion about this man Jesus. And that's the way it is today. Uh, it's not a place where we can be neutral. There's not neutral ground. We are either for or we're against the Son of God. So in the middle of the feast, this is a seven day with an eighth day, holy day. In the midst of the feast, Jesus rises up in the temple and begins to teach. And that's where we find Him here. And in verse 32, the Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning Him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take Him. So the people are speaking, and in the verse before, The Bible says many believed on him. But they said when Christ comes, will he do more than this man? So they believed on him. uh, And you know, you look in other places in the Gospels, they believed he was a prophet, thought he could be John the Baptist. Some said he was Jeremiah, raised from the dead. Some said Elijah. So they they all had some belief in this man. But a, a faith, if you'll have that word here, a faith that Jesus was the Son of God and the Messiah sent to take away the sins of the world, that faith was missing in their hearts. They were, they were not persuaded or convinced of that fact. So though they believe, and remember the devils believe and tremble, though they believe, they still don't know who Jesus is, nor do they believe who Jesus really is but just this talking made the the leaders and the Pharisees made them angry that the people would consider you know what they wanted (coughs) they wanted them under their thumb they wanted the multitude to look up to them and them alone they wanted the authority and them alone they wanted the uh, the glory, I guess, if you'll have it. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be admired. They wanted to be spoke about. When the multitude got together, they wanted the multitude to say, look at, look at how good these men are. If you're not careful, you'll fall into that as well. And so that caused them to be angry about the Lord Jesus and His teaching. So they got together some officers, some officials... Some law men. And they said, go arrest this man and bring him back to us. Then said Jesus unto them. So I I get the picture in my head. Here's Jesus. He's teaching. Here comes these officers to arrest him. And this is what Jesus says. Yet a little while am I with you. And then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me and shall not find me. And where I am, thither ye cannot come. So Jesus says, I'm going to a place that you'll not be able to find me, that you'll not be able to get to me, you'll not be able to arrest me. Where's He going? Well, He says, I'm going back to Him that sent me. So us with hindsight and an understanding of the whole of the gospel, we know what He's saying. He's going to the cross. He's going to rise from the dead. He's going to ascend back to the Father. Now tell me, just with... Any bit of logical reasoning, is there any way that we could go arrest Jesus today? Can we go find him? He's in a place where we can't go. He's in a place where we can't find him. I mean, where are we going to go to search him out? If we go to Mars, is that where he's at? Is he on the moon? That's so silly. But He's far beyond that. He's in a place we can't go. That's where the Lord is at today. Those that are angry, they can't they can't get a hold of Him there. But also, man can't find Him on his own. Remember, we, we've already looked at several places, and I don't want to continually go back and go back, but in John 3... Nicodemus. Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see. And except a man be born again, he cannot enter in. So what is required that man could come to the Lord Jesus Christ? It's not going to some place, whether you say, we'll go to Jerusalem where the Lord walked, or... Go up to the top of Olivet where the Lord uh, taught or, or go into the garden or find the tomb where he was buried and you'll not find him in any of those places. You can't go and search him out. He's not on a mountaintop. He's not out in space. He's in heaven, a spiritual realm with the Father. How does man know there's got to be a work of God? Just as in the Old Testament as Clark looked at God spoke to the prophets dreams and visions and and, and sometimes audible voice He spoke with Moses and with others. But today He's spoken by His Son. He's revealed through the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit. So if man is going to find the Son, first of all it must be allowed by God. There must be permission granted because we can't get there otherwise. The door must be opened, and I don't open the door. God said, Behold, I've set before you an open door, and no man can close it. So God must open the door. God must open my heart and my mind. God must draw me to the Son. And without God's call, without their being uh, born again, I'll never come to the Lord Jesus Christ. So in Luke 13, I think we read this last time. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many shall seek to enter in and shall not be able when once the master has risen up and shut to the door. So the multitude of the world, they're going to seek to enter in to the kingdom of God when it's too late. When the door is shut in judgment. While they live here, they've got no desire to find the Lord Jesus. They've got no desire to hear His Word as evidenced by the way they live, by the where they're at on a Sunday morning. And it's evident that people have no desire to understand the Lord, to hear about the Lord, or to draw near to the Lord. So that's where man's at. Why, man's not seeking God today. But you know all of the world's going to seek to enter in one day. It's going to be too late then. The door is going to be shut. There will be no entrance and there will be no forgiveness then. So ye shall seek me and shall not find me. It would be a terrible place, wouldn't it? In the final judgment with eternal hell, the lake of fire laid out before us as our eternal destination and the door of heaven, the door of salvation, the door of mercy and forgiveness is shut. And he says, depart and cast us into the lake of fire. That's, that is a reality. Right. That will be a reality for an unbelieving and unrepentant world. They'll seek him one day and yet not be able to find him. And so then said the Jews among themselves, "Whither will he go that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this? Ye shall seek me and shall not find me. And where I am, thither ye cannot come. They said, who does he think he is? We'll get him wherever he goes. There's not a place he can go out of our reach. Is he saying he's going to go way out in the Gentile country? Is he going to China? Some said in one of the gospels, is he going to kill himself? So they said, look, we're right, we'll get him wherever he goes. He's not going to get away from our grasp. That's the way man thinks of the Lord Jesus today. We'll get him whenever we really need him. He can't get out of my reach, but at any time and at any moment, I can get down and pray and ask Him to forgive me, and He's going to forgive me. At any time and at any point in my life, I'll seek after Him for salvation, and He's going to save me then. That doctrine is preached, that doctrine's proclaimed. That's what the Pharisees said. We'll find Him wherever He goes. He's not getting away from our hand, and yet He did. He did. He is where they can't find Him. And to a lost and dying world that may think they'll make it right one day, He's in a place where you're unable to reach. You're unable to find Him. That's why Isaiah said, Seek Him while He may be found. Because only as He's drawing is there opportunity to truly seek and find the Lord Jesus Christ. There must be. There must be a work of God in the heart in order for salvation to come. So they said he's going to some far country. He's he's planning on leaving here. And you know, if if he leaves here, then we don't have to worry about him anymore. And another time that the Lord has spoken something, and if, if you think about where we've read already in John how many times the Lord says something and it's misunderstood by man? Nicodemus must be born again. I can't enter into my mother's womb. I'm going to destroy this temple. This temple was years in the building. And you're going to build it back in three days? If you to ask him, had asked him, he'd give you living water. Sir, you ain't even got nothing to, to dip out with. You know what happens over and over and over? Man in his carnal mind is misunderstanding the Lord Jesus Christ. They have no spiritual understanding of what He's saying. Jesus is saying here, I'm going to be crucified, resurrected, and go back to the Father, and you won't be able to lay hands on me there. And they think He's going to China, or somewhere in the Gentile nations. So do you reckon that happens today? As, as we gather at the church house, as we hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm not saying an untrue, I'm saying the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand the teachings of the Bible. And if there's no revelation of the Holy Ghost, do you know what man comes to? Well, if I go to an altar... And I say, the Lord saved me. And I live good enough and get baptized and join the church. You know, that's what salvation is. Is that what salvation is? To a multitude of people it is. And that's by the understanding of the carnal mind. What we see, what we hear, that's what we think we need to do. And if we do those things, then we're saved. But boy, to them that are saved, how far is that from the truth? That's nowhere near the truth. The Bible does not tell me that any of those things will save me, does it? You know what saves? A work of God in the heart. It's God opening the heart. It's God regenerating the man. It's God drawing the man. It's God changing the man. But our carnal world Carnal church world, they've got no spiritual vision. They can't see that. They see the motions of the flesh. And in the motions of the flesh, they're going to trust. Now, I don't say that for you to be down on anybody. Because if God hadn't revealed to you, you'd be trusting in the motions of the flesh. And when the gospel was preached, you'd say, well, yep, I've been to the altar. And I've said He saved me. And I've been baptized and I've been good and I'm saved. And I don't care how hard you hammer again that, you ain't going to convince them otherwise. You know why? Because they're carnal. That's all they can see. Without a work of God, that's what man will trust in. On and on and on. So we preach the gospel. And let the Lord sort the hearts of man. In verse 37, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him, should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So the last day of the feast, and I thought about whether to say this or not, we don't have any scripture to back it up, but Jewish history says on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles they had a a tradition that the priests would go and draw water and they'd bring it into town and they'd Pour it out. And that was symbolic of the prophecies of the Old Testament of the Spirit being poured out. And so perhaps that's the, uh, that's the reason John says in the last great day of the feast, the Lord Jesus stands and says, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Saying this, the waters of these ceremonies, the waters of these rituals they do nothing to quench your spiritual thirst. The waters of a baptism, even in the middle of winter when it's freezing to death and you're going to sacrifice comfort to go be dipped in the creek, the waters of that baptism does not satisfy the spiritual thirst of man. The Lord says, If any man thirsts, let him come to me. I'm the source. All of the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. And in Jesus all of the Old Testament is fulfilled. (coughs) So rituals and ceremonies of the law are completely pointless in Jesus, aren't they? But I want you to notice what the Lord says now. If any man thirst so there's a if here's a condition what is the condition to coming unto jesus and drinking if you thirst now look at a couple of scriptures john 4:10 i've already mentioned this if thou knewest the gift of god thou wouldest asked, and he would have given thee living water what was wrong with the woman at the well she didn't know the gift of God. In Revelation 22, very familiar. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. So man takes that whosoever will, and they had liked to put a cigarette out on your chest with that and say, It says, Whosoever will. That means whoever at any time and at any point. And there's no other conditions in that verse whatsoever, is there? We have the Spirit, the Bride, Him that heareth, and Him that's athirst. So who's going to come and drink? Him that's thirsty. How does man get Thirsty. How does man thirst after the Lord Jesus Christ? Listen in Isaiah 44, here's a prophecy, "For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring." Isaiah 58:11, "The Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones." Thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. So is it really whoever at any point and at any time? I'll say this, the fountain's open. It's open. Come and drink. The fountain's been open for 2,000 years. Come and drink. Come and drink. The gospel's been preached to come and drink. But do you know the ones that you find on their knees at this fountain drinking of the water of life those that are made to be thirsty. How does man get this thirst? (coughs) Well, the same way the woman at the well got the thirst. The same way Nicodemus received the thirst. The same way the disciples... And the same way you and I were made thirsty. If we believe it was only by the grace of God that we came to the Lord Jesus for salvation, and it was only by grace. It was God that worked in our hearts to convict. And you see the picture there. That before God worked, I wasn't sorry for my sins, nor did I need forgiveness for them. I wasn't thirsty for living water. But as God began to work, as conviction and fear of judgment set in, you know what that made me? made me want the Lord Jesus. It made me thirsty. So that's what you're seeing here. If any man thirst, those that aren't thirsty, they're not coming to the water of life. Those that aren't sick, they're not coming to the doctor. Those that are righteous, they're not coming for forgiveness. But those that are thirsty, they'll be there. And it's God that stirs up the thirst in the heart of man. Now this this scripture, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Isn't it something that when God is working in conviction, that those people under the grace of God, they don't run to the world for an answer, do they? You know where they all come? If it's God that's drawing, you know where they all wind up? At the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Under the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Down at the church house where the Word of God is preached, God always draws them to the right place. Let Him come to me. Because this this man Jesus, He's the only answer to the sin of mankind. The only answer to escaping the judgment and the wrath of God. So he that believeth on me, I believe this is easy to see. That those that drink and those that believe, they're the same thing. Drinking of the living water is a metaphor for believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. I don't come and get a cup of water from the Lord to, to be saved. That's a picture It's a picture of a man that's thirsty and dying of thirst and he comes to a spring of clear and cool water. Well, there's man in sin and I'm telling you where he's at, he's just about dead. You Remember if you've ever been there, the weight, the fear and the dread. Man's just about dead and there is the fountain of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to drink from that so bad that we'll run to Him. That's the way the Lord works. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said. Now, there's not really an Old Testament Scripture that lines up for what we're with just about to hear. I, I believe that Scripture in Isaiah that we read... The Lord shall satisfy thy soul and drought make that fat thy bones. Thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. Or in Isaiah 44, I will pour water upon him that thirsty. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed. One of those two probably where this comes from. And you know, I I guess maybe I'm the only one. I've always thought of this Scripture saying, He that believes shall have a spring flowing out of his belly. But I don't believe that's what he's saying here. That as he that believeth, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly. So is he talking about his belly, the one believing? Or his belly of the Lord Jesus Christ? And I believe if we put these two verses together, you'll see that the water's coming from the Lord Jesus. That as I'm thirsty, as I come to the Lord Jesus, out of the Lord's belly is this living water that I so need of. And it ties wonderfully in with John. When they thrust the spear into the side of the Lord, and forthwith came blood and water. So here Jesus is the source. He's that rock in the wilderness that as the children of Israel were thirsty, God showed Moses a rock and said, smite the rock. And he smote it and out of the rock came water that supplied their need. The Lord is that rock and it's of Him that we drink. Never think of yourself as a source of living water. I am not a source of living... Even after that I'm saved. I'm not a source of living water. But I've received living water from the source. As every man and every woman that has ever been saved has. And it's unto the Lord Jesus that we continually look to and glorify and exalt. Jesus didn't make Peter a spring of living water, and everybody looked to Peter, so on and so forth, and now today the preacher's a fountain of living water, and everybody's looking to him. That's not the way the kingdom of God works. The Lord Jesus is still the source And the preacher, just like uh, John the Baptist did, and said, Behold the Lamb of God, that's what the preachers of the gospel do today. They say, Behold the Lamb of God. He's the source of living water. He's the one that we run to. He's the one that we seek for mercy and for forgiveness and for salvation. There is no other source. But as we come to Him... As we believe in Him, you know what He has? Exactly what we stand in need of. He's a fountain of living waters. But this spake He. So what's He talking about? Well, He spake this, of the Spirit which they that believe on Him should receive. So what am I receiving from the Lord Jesus? As we come to Him, as we believe in Him, He's a fountain of living waters. Out of Him comes the water that I'm so dying of thirst for. But remember, that's a metaphor. Here's man dying in sin, in danger of judgment, bound by the law, and we come to the Lord Jesus and we're looking for forgiveness, we're looking for mercy... And we're looking for redemption. So we come to Him and and we find all of those things in the Lord Jesus. I find forgiveness in the Lord because He has bore my sin and paid for them. I find mercy in the Lord because the Lord put on Him my transgressions and He suffered the death of the cross for them. I find in Him redemption through His blood. It's all in Him. So I come to Him and I'm seeking after those things. I'm seeking after forgiveness and salvation. And what do I get? I get those things. But how do I know? Through and by the Spirit of holiness that takes that condemnation that takes that conviction and that takes that fear and that unbeknownst to me it was the spirit of holiness that brought that on but he takes that weight off of me and sets me at liberty in the kingdom of God Jesus is saying those that come to me looking for redemption they'll receive the comfort of the Holy Spirit of God the paraclete, the the helper, the aid, the one that will be with them always, even unto the end of the world. So who's going to receive the Holy Spirit? They which believe on Him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given. If you notice, given is in italics. What John says here is, the Holy Ghost was not yet. Well, he's saying the Holy Ghost doesn't exist. Well, we, We've already seen the Holy Ghost and His presence in John. We've seen the Holy Ghost descend on the Lord as a dove in this gospel already. So he's not saying that the Spirit doesn't exist at this time, but as far as man goes, they've not received Him yet. Now why? Well, he says, Jesus was not yet glorified. Man could not receive the fullness of this redemption until the price for that redemption had been paid. I hope that makes sense. So here is man. In the Old Testament, there's Abraham. There's Isaiah, there's Jeremiah, there's Jacob, there's Isaac. There's all these patriarchs of faith. Those that God had spoken to in sundry times and diverse manners. Those that were God's men. But you know what Peter said they desired to do? They sought after and searched after these things. But they could not understand it fully. They couldn't perceive the full work. Though Abraham understood that there was coming a son, the fullness of this salvation he didn't receive. And he didn't make it to the city that he sought after, but he died in faith. So before the Lord Jesus, there wasn't a fullness of this salvation given, and it was because the price of redemption hadn't been paid. This may sound silly, and I apologize for the silliness of it. It's the best way I could think to think about it. Their salvation was on layaway. And the Lord Jesus was going to come and pay for that. It's not well if they come, or if they don't. The Lord was coming, and He was going to pay for that and accomplish that. But it hadn't been received in fullness. But when Jesus was glorified, we know His crucifixion, His burial, His resurrection, and His ascension back to the Father. And on the 50th day, from His glorification and resurrection, the day of Pentecost fully came and out of the belly of the Lord Jesus poured the living water of the Holy Spirit upon the Apostles. God, Jesus Christ, the source of that Spirit, poured it out upon the believers and there they went to preach and from that day forward, everyone that came to Jesus and drank, He gave them living water to drink. All which believe receive this Holy Spirit after Jesus' glorification. Many of the people, therefore, When they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee. So listen to those words one more time. Some said, of a truth, this is the prophet. Now this is the way they're thinking They've got all these prophecies in the Old Testament. They've got them separated up into different people. In Deuteronomy, Moses told Israel that there was coming a prophet like unto him that would lead the people. God told David that from his lineage was going to come a king that would be on the throne forever and ever. They knew of a Messiah that was prophesied that was coming. Now what they didn't realize is all these were the same person. Jesus was the fulfillment of all of those promises. But here one of them says, of a truth, this is the prophet. This is the man that Moses talked about. True. But that's only part of the story. Others said, this is the Christ. This is the anointed one. This is the Messiah. So see, they're... They're saying two different things here. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the Scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of Him. (coughs) So they're debating in their minds Who is this man, Jesus Christ? And if you remember, uh, John doesn't have a a great in-depth story of Jesus' birth, but he gives us enough to know that Jesus was brought forth in Bethlehem. Caesar Augustus sent out a law. There was going to be a census taken. In order for this census to be taken, every man must return to his hometown and be counted. And lo and behold, Joseph's hometown, Bethlehem of David. And it's there that Joseph and Mary go, and while they're there, Jesus is born in the town of Bethlehem. They were only there for a census. That's not where they lived. They lived in Galilee. So we saw Herod sent men to go and kill the uh, children under two years old after that the wise men came, and God warned Joseph and they fled to Egypt. Then they came back. And they dwelled in Nazareth of Galilee. So it's from Galilee it's where he lives, it's where his family's at. But was the scripture fulfilled that was prophesied that he should come from Bethlehem? He was born in Bethlehem. But you see, they could not see that whether and I, I hesitate to say that that was an unknown fact because I believe that was known. There were shepherds that bore witness the wise men that came, there was all this going on. I believe that was known. but well, he don't live there, so that really don't count. I mean I believe what the prophet was saying, I believe what that was saying was that he was going to live there and Jesus don't live there so he can't be the right thing. It's nitpicking of the scriptures. It's interpreting things in the scriptures that isn't written in the scripture. And if you don't think that goes on, you ought to just perk up your ears and listen a lot of times to what's said. Things are said that are not in the Scripture. Great care should be taken that the Scripture is interpreted rightly, not the way I want it to be interpreted. Because great error can come. Here, these people are denying that Jesus is the Messiah because of this little technicality That of a truth was fulfilled. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And I could give give examples of things I've heard in my life that's been read into Scripture that's not there. But I just warn you be sure of what the Scripture says and let's be built on the Word of God. So there was a division. Boy, ain't Ain't that the way it is? Acts 14 verse 4. The multitude of the city was divided, part held with the Jews, part with the apostles. You'll read that all through Acts. You'll see that all through the epistles. You'll see it in some of the churches. You're going to see it in the country today. You're going to see it in the locations and the the communities today. You're going to see it amongst families. You want to make a division? Begin to speak about the Word of God. And how sharp do you want the division to be is how deep you get into the Scripture. You want a division? Just say election. And see if there's not a quick and a vast division about this man, Jesus Christ. (coughs) This man came to bring division. And there was a division among the people and some of them would have taken him. But no man laid hands on him. Remember how that we talked earlier in this chapter, he that withholdeth. So there's Judas. Judas who in the last verse of 66, chapter 6, is revealed to be a devil. He had in his heart to sell the Son. of He never believed in the Son of God. He was never saved. He didn't fall or lose his salvation. He was a devil from the start. Jesus knew he was a devil from the start. And Jesus put him there for the purpose of denying him. Uh, He did. He did. And so there, remember that God was withholding Judas from doing all of the evil. That was already in his heart. You can look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and you can see the evil of the world and you can see God withholding man from completely running madly into sin. You can look in Romans chapter 1 and you can see man wanting to get God out of his knowledge and God gives him over. You know what? That's a picture showing me that God was withholding but as they set their minds to sin... God let them go. Well here, there were some that would have, it's what the Bible says, would have taken Him. They were there with the mission to arrest Him. Their heart was purposed to arrest Him. They had the authority to arrest Him. But they just couldn't do it. There was nobody there preventing them from doing it. They just couldn't do it. As a saved person, have you ever been there? There's something that you just, you just want to do. And yet, there's no restraints. There's nobody in your way. It's the grace of God that withholdeth man from doing it. I think that happens to lost people as well. They don't realize that. But I believe as we look back, I believe we can see times that we had a purpose in our heart to do something and God behind the scenes, unknown to us, was withholding us from doing that that would cause such great damage. And thank God that He did. As I look back to my youth, how far in sin could I have went? if it weren't for a withholding God. But no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees. And they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? So here comes these officers back. Remember, they were sent to arrest him. And they come back empty handed. So you picture the boss at work. What's he going to say? Why didn't you do what I told you? I told you to go get Jesus. Where is this man? Why have you not done what I commanded you? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. I realize that sounds a lot more profound than what it really is. They didn't know why they hadn't brought him. as the God's truth. But they knew this. This man's words had more power than any man they had ever heard in their life. They had never heard anything like what this man could say and teach and bring out of the Scriptures. So why haven't you brought him? Nobody's ever spoke like this man. They don't have an answer. It wasn't his hour and it wasn't his time. That would be the right answer, but they don't know that either. But they do know this, his teaching and his words, they were amazing. That's the way all of man thought of the Lord Jesus' teaching and words. Then answered them, the Pharisees, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. (coughs) That's pretty strong words. So, what do they say? Has this man deceived you as well? This is the Pharisees speaking to the officers who didn't bring Jesus arrested. And they said, Has this man deceived you too? Look at all of us, we're the elite. We're the top of the line. We're the smartest and the most educated and the the richest and we're the most moral and the most righteous and none of us has believed on Him. Why would you believe on Him? But this people, this people out here that don't know the law, they're cursed. They're not like us. Ain't that the way it is today? You've got an elite. You've got the high and mighty. You've got the great. And they say, boy, these other little peasants, they don't know anything. And yet, if you think through the Old Testament, in Genesis when the sons of God went into the daughters of men as the lineage of Seth And the lineage of Cain began to mingle. You know what came out of that? Men of renown. Mighty men. Giants. In the days of Esau and Esau's family, a forsaken. It's in Esau's lineage you first begin to see dukes and princes and royalty and kings. In Korah's rebellion, you know who rebelled against Moses and Aaron with Korah? The princes of the congregation and men of renown and Absalom. When Absalom's going to rebel against David, he takes some of the priests and some of David's own men. And you know what all that does? That leads man to look and say, well, look at that. Korah's got all of the mighty men and the princes. All of them's with Korah. He's got to be right. And Moses has got to be wrong." That's the logic here. We're the Sanhedrin court. We are the leaders of this nation. We are the most religious and religiously educated. We know the scripture better than anybody else, and none of us believe. And you're an idiot if you do believe. Be careful. Putting your trust in man and in men that believe with you. Well, so and so believes this. It must be the truth. Well, that ain't always the case, is it? For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. You know who's called? the base and the foolish and the weak and the ignorant and the despised. That's who God calls. You know why God calls them in? You know why God chose twelve with publicans and fishermen and ignorant men instead of twelve off of the Sanhedrin court? Because it would be God's glory in those ignorant men when they preach the gospel. There won't be no glory for man. Well, it's the same today. Don't look around at man. Don't put trust in man or in the appearance of man. It doesn't matter who believes it if it's wrong. It would have been wise for the officers to have believed the Lord Jesus and not the leaders of the religion.